This episode of Heavy Cardboard is brought to you by the wonderful folks from Game Surplus and BoardGameTables.com. Thanks for the support of Heavy Cardboard. Heavy Cardboard, episode 81, or at Labora. Coming to you from within the rule of St. Benedict. Welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts. I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. So. So. That interview with Ian O'Toole yesterday was incredible and by far the best conversations with Heavy Cardboard to date. You know, I, I don't think it's that cut and dried, but I got to say that it seemed like he was a little nervous or not 100% comfortable well, at the very beginning. That's understandable. Well, yeah, he's never done this. And I, hell, I get nervous before right. all of those. But I got to say, as we kept going and kept going, he kept getting mm-hmm. more verbose yeah. and more, you know, peeling the curtain back, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And man, that was awesome. Afterwards, uh, I thanked him uh, both for uh, the Lisboa promo. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, Vital Lacerda, Ian O'Toole, that's yeah. that's our first promo. Right. Uh, ha, what what do we do from here? Right. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, obviously the tramway. Tram I know. But, but still. Yeah. Uh, so I thanked him for that. Um, and then after hung up on Skype, big fist bump. Yes. I was pretty proud of that. I, that. I came running in here to give you a hug. It was really, really I, good. Yeah, I, 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 re- I had a blast. Plus, like I told him, it's all about me. I, I mean... Obviously, I'm doing these for our fellow gamers out there and especially our fellow elephants and everything else. Mm-hmm. However. But you're the world's biggest five-year-old. I am. And I, I do these as much for me mm-hmm. as anyone else because, damn it, I'm curious. <laughs> and I want to know the answers to all this stuff. And so I find it fascinating. Yeah. So when I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm talking during all this and and I have my prep questions mm-hmm. and everything else. But there's so much vibing that goes on between he, you know, yeah. me and whoever the guest is that it's just, it's a blast. I have a lot of fun with it. And it's just, it's cool to hear this stuff. And it, it I got to admit, it's pretty cool to be on the receiving end of like, yes, he's telling everybody, but he's telling But he's talking me. to you first. And yeah. yeah. That, so I'm not going to lie. That's pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, that was a lot of fun yesterday. If you haven't heard it yet, uh, go check it out over on YouTube. If you would prefer to wait for the podcast, we're going to release it. I think originally we were going to next Tuesday. But, but I think, I think we're, gonna, we were going to move it up to Monday. Yeah, to Monday. So look for that on the podcast on Monday. Well, Gen Con's next week. Sad face for me. I'm sorry. Happy face for you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I'll be honest, when I at first I was like, eh, yeah, I'll go. Which I got to be the only person going to Gen Con who originally was like, instead of, woohoo, I'm yeah, going to Gen Con. Maybe not. Uh, it just, don't get me wrong, I'm looking forward to it thoroughly. And as we've gotten closer, I, I look more and more forward to mm-hmm. it. However, uh, at first, I was like, is there really going to be a good reason for me or us or whatever to go? Right. And because there's not a ton of games coming out that really fit in our realm. There are some. Don't mm-hmm, get me wrong. Mm-hmm. 
but there's just not a lot. I mean, it's not Essen for us, right? Right, right. And I was like, well, plus you're not going. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then I, w- I ended up getting a free room. All right, I'll go. Yeah. And a $152 round trip ticket. Okay, I'll go. Yeah, it's a red eye, but it's worth that's it. That's pretty much how that whole thing went. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to go. Hey, you want a free room? Okay. 150 buck round trip ticket? Okay, yeah. we'll go. <laughs> so now, actually, like I said, as we've gotten closer, I'm more excited about it mm-hmm. and looking forward to it. Part Partly for the spectacle. And honestly, having gone to Essen last year, I'm curious to see how I can compare and contrast yeah, me too. the vendor hall itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious to see how that goes. Uh, plus, obviously, to meet fans. Yeah. It's still weird to me to call y'all fans, but listeners, viewers, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, as well as networking, which, I mean, mm-hmm. is always a... It's a, never a bad thing. Right. Seriously. So there's that. It's never a bad thing. We, and we also, Ash actually has in his possession right now a whole bunch of t-shirts. Yeah, 63 of them. Yeah. In fact, you, you might ask yourself... Self. Why 63 shirts? Well, we wanted five of the main... So four colors. So we got what? It's a uh, russet. That, yeah, or clay, but we call it russet. Right. Because trains. Yeah. Uh, orange, mint, and blue. And we got, so across all the colors between all that we had left in stock, three mediums, five larges, five extra larges, three double X, three triple X across mm-hmm. the board. I don't know if I'm going to ship all of those. Okay. Because that's going to be a really expensive box to ship. And, and by ship, I mean I'm shipping them to Clay at Capstone Games, who doesn't leave his house until after breakfast on Tuesday. This way I don't have to pay Perfect. Uh, baggage. You mean fees. Wednesday or Tuesday? No, Tuesday. Tuesday, okay. Yeah. And then he'll mule them for, or Wednesday and, hey, our Perfect. stuff's there. Nice. But yeah, that yeah, that's a lot of t-shirts. It so. is. So I, I just don't think we're going to sell quite so many Well, of we those, didn't think though. we were going to sell very many Origins either, and we ran out, so... Eh. So in other words, if you're listening to this, you better going, run to the no, capstone. No, 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 <laughs> no. Seriously. Make my job easy. You don't have to pre-order it, although you can. You can always just hit us up, either email, Slack, uh, Twitter, whatever. Hey, I want such and such a size and such and such a color. Right. And we're going to have some, an unknown number, of the Lisboa promo mm-hmm. for heavy cardboard that we're going to be handing out with a purchase of t-shirt. Right. Right. So and I also... And we'll have stickers there as well, waterproof stickers. I also added a different um, shipping availability, I guess would be the right word. Or, or lack of shipping. Yeah, lack uh, of shipping for... Con pickup. Yes. Every single convention that we're going to be at this year um, and actually start of next year as well because I have Arizona Game Fair and Origins. Um, you can choose that as your shipping option at checkout. And I hope we get invited to Arizona Game Fair. Well, he's already invited us. He invited us before we left. Did he? Yes. Oh. Um, Thanks, Andrew. Right, Andrew? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to go eat at that place again, so you have to invite us. Um, but anyway, um, so you can pick that at checkout, and I will personally take the shirt, put it in a bag, put, it, put your name on it and what convention you want it picked up at, and put it to the side so that we don't have the oopsie of selling your shirt. Which, not that that's ever happened before. No, that's never, ever happened before, right, Giovanni? <laughs> that's exactly who I was thinking of. <laughs> All right. So, if you're not coming to Gen Con and you're like, dude, dude, I want a Lisboa promo. Mm-hmm. 
I understand. However, we are going to get some unknown right. number. I think we're going to end up getting three to 500 of them total, but not for Gen Con. Yeah. We don't know what we're going to do as far as allocating them after Gen Con. Obviously, we're going to have a bunch at Essen as well. Uh, probably the same thing applies right, with there. T-shirts. Uh, but I promise if you listen to the show, you will be the first ones to find out after our patrons yeah. Um, yeah. as far as how to get one. So we'll figure that out. Don't inundate us now, please. Um, we, yeah, will, we literally do not have any promos right now. Right, We will let you know as soon as we yeah. figure that out. So there's that. All right. So in addition to that, though, we're going to have an informal gathering slash dinner Friday night at Gen Con, 7 p.m. at the Indianapolis City Market. It's about three quarters of a mile from the convention center. Yes, I know. That's a walk. Eh, I got a bad back. If I can do it, you guys can. Not as far as the one in Origin, so we're fine. Right? Seriously. So we thought it would be a bit less crowded being out there um, as opposed to some of the restaurants that are super close to the ICC. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Trent actually was the one that suggested it over in ConChat on on Slack. So, okay, we're going with it. So 7 p.m. Friday, again, informal gathering slash dinner no, we're not buying. Patreon's not that big. Uh, but, you know, come hang out with your fellow elephants. So it is just east of Monument Circle on Market Street. The address is 222 East Market Street. Again, just east of Monument Circle. 7 p.m. Friday. Internet or Indianapolis City Market. Yeah, is that like the North Market and stuff? Yeah, it's almost identical <gasps> to the North Market. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm sorry. <laughs> So uh, on that note, though, one other thing, uh, apparently we're going to meet up outside of Hall J, which is right on Capitol Street, which is the the closest exit from the dealer hall Okay. Uh, on Capitol Street. Okay. We're going to leave there probably about, we'll meet up about 6.15 just, and there will be a herd of elephants trampling down. Stomping. To, yeah, or whatever. Heading over to the uh, to the city market. So if you want to, hey, come join. Come hang out with us. There's been a lot of discussion all over the interwebs the last couple of weeks and prior on the topics of paid reviews, previews, sponsorship, disclosure, and all that kind of stuff. So yep. we thought we'd address some of it from our point of view. And I want to stress that this isn't anything more than how we see things and how it relates to heavy cardboard. Yep. So let's start... Let, Let's start out by stating the obvious first here. Uh, Every reviewer has inherent biases. We do. I mean, we wouldn't review Splendor very highly. Right. Neither of us likes that game. A reviewer of anything. Yes. Yeah. It it doesn't matter whether... books or movies or... Cisco and Ebert had inherent biases. Yes. So we do. You do as listeners. Everybody out there does. All right. The key is to make it clear what your biases are and not introduce more of them as reviewers, or at least that's what, again, this is all coming from our point of view. Right. So for the most part, content that's available out there for board gaming, media content, whatever you want to call it, whether it's from us or from others falls into essentially six categories. You have unboxing videos, exactly how it sounds, show off the components that you get in a game. Overviews, which are brief general synopsis of what a game is and how it plays. Yep. And then there's previews, which Kickstarter or other unreleased game overviews. Right, right. 
then we have playthroughs or rules teaching videos. I mean, it's, you know, it's in the title there. It's pretty self-explanatory and it's what we mainly do on our YouTube channel. Right. Along with interviews, which is the fifth type and the sixth type are reviews, which are how we define a review is a critical appraisal of games to include well thought out and reasoned opinion. And honestly, this is the meat of the podcast. I mean, this is what you guys listen to us for. Yes. Right. So for the most part, Heavy Cardboard focuses on the last three of those, reviews, interviews, and playthroughs slash teaching videos. Mm-hmm. So let's get the biggie, at least to us, out of the way. We do not solicit nor accept payment for our reviews. Period. Right. End of Ever. story. The end. So we work off three tenets uh, for our reviews. Fair, honest, and thorough. If we accepted payment for reviews, while we personally don't think it's it would impact the honesty of our reviews, I mean, genuinely, I don't, I, I can don't, separate yeah. that. I don't think it would, but I don't want to give the semblance at all. Or the all. appearance yes. of that having impacted our ability to be fair and honest. Therefore, we just, we've taken it out of the equation. Yeah. We're just, the answer is no. Now, we've been told that's stupid mm-hmm. and we've been told that, you know, I don't have a problem, and by I, I'm talking viewers, listeners, the public in general. Mm -hmm. I don't care as long as you disclose that. But then there's always that thing in the back of your head. Right. Eh, Are they, is it bought and paid for? Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I just don't want to deal with that. And so I don't want, we've worked too hard to build up the trust that we have with y'all listening that it's just not worth it to me. No. It's not at all. It doesn't matter the amount of money. It doesn't matter because it would taint everything. Yep. So as such, we do strive to provide as professional an approach to our content as we know how to do. Are we Dan rather Tom Brokaw? No, but we try. We want to we want to raise the level of what board game reviews are from hobbyists and fanboys and fangirls and whatever to the level of critical analysis that not everybody is going to enjoy, especially if you're the publisher or designer. Right. But again, as long as we go back to those three things, we're fair, we're honest, and we're thorough, you can disagree with what we, our opinions, but it's going to be well-reasoned out thought. So therefore, I'm okay if you have a problem with it, but I can... 100% stand by my opinions because it's not the game because sucks. I don't like it. Because it's my opinion. Well, not only that, but it's well reasoned, right? Right? I mean, there it's not like I said, it's not oh, this game sucks because yeah. I don't like it. Right. What kind of reasoning is that? It's none. Therefore, I feel like the types of reviews that we do, we try and be as professional as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'm getting at when I say that. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. So our opinions are not for sale. The end. Yeah. Yeah. So while we're on the topic of reviews, let's tackle my favorite <laughs> review copies of games. Now, it's no secret that we receive both we request as well as unsolicited review copies of games uh, from publishers. However, by requesting a review copy, we enter into what I think of as an informal agreement. Hey, I'm asking you, Publisher X, for a review copy. 
So in return for that, you get three things. You get a fair and honest and thorough review. The end. Publishers have zero editorial control. They don't get anything other than what I just said. Once the review is published, that's the end of the informal agreement. The review copy wasn't payment for it. All it was was an agreement. Here, we will give you this so that you can do your review. Mm -hmm. The end. That's, That's all it was. Now, if you think about it, I spent eight hours preparing for tonight's podcast. Yes. Okay. Both, uh, which includes obviously the review as well as everything else. Then you had, you did your own prep. Mm-hmm. You have to, we have to record it obviously. I have to edit are, it. Right. And then we have to release it. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, promotion for it, but not even counting that you're looking upwards of 20 hours. Yeah. Easy for, for that. So if we were to get even a hundred dollar game for 20 hours of work, that's not payment. No. So it's just tools of the trade. I mean, we're helping the publisher by getting the game out there, whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? Now, positive or negative, usually publishers don't really care as long as fair, honest, and thorough. Because at that point, <laughs> the old saying of no publicity is bad publicity mm-hmm. It kind of really is true. Yeah. Now, if you are consistently just ripping to shreds their games, it's not really being professional. It's not really being fair. And you can always highlight the positives and the negatives. Right. And not just one or the other. And that's where, again, our... The fact that we're not accepting any kind of payment for our reviews, we have that, I don't want to say luxury, but we have the freedom to do so is kind of what I'm alluding to. And so a review copy damn sure ain't going to, I'm sorry, folks, but my integrity is not worth a 50 or $100 game. No, not at all. (laughs) Not not even a little bit. No. Not only that, the thousands of hours that we've put into the show, why would we risk that? For being, oh wow, this game's amazing, and it ends up being crap. No, That's stupid. Just, no, Why? Why would we do that? Then we couldn't. Then nobody would ever believe anything that we said. It's just, it's not worth it. And we don't fear reprisals for a negative review because we're being fair, honest, and thorough. Yeah, a- any publisher worth their salt is not going to stop sending us a review copy because of a negative review. Again, as long as we did those three things, they're. They, there's going to be a level of respect. Again, yes. they're professionals. I mean, in what they do. And if anybody, and by anybody, I mean any publisher out there, uh, had a problem with our review in a sense that they don't feel like we were any of those three things. I mean, we could listen to them, but if they have a problem with it and they choose to, then we don't necessarily have to work with them going forward. Yeah. It's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you guys have realized this or not, but most publishers don't have a marketing arm. They count on reviewers and the general public as well to get the buzz out there, get the word out there, whether positive or negative. Mm-hmm. They count on it, right? I mean, it makes sense. Right. So it's a two-way street here. And as long as they're professional, we're professional. Well, even if they're not, we are. We are, yeah. And that's that. So anyway, enough about review copies of games. So as far as playthroughs and teaching 
of games on our videos. On occasion, uh, we get sponsored by publishers mm -hmm. for those. We disclose that at the beginning of each and every video by this video is sponsored by right. so-and-so. The, these videos, they're informational. We're teaching the game and we're showing the game how it's played in, 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 a, in a real life setting. Yes. Now, at the end of it, we may elect to give our opinions. We may not. It's up to us. And if we do, again, publishers have no editorial control over it. And we don't, yeah, it's just. Well, and it's live, so. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, fair point. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, just we don't have to do the opinions at the end is what I'm saying. Right, we, no. we elect to. So, so if there's anything as far as sponsored content, it would be playthroughs on occasion in our teaching videos, mm -hmm. which again, there's a difference between informational and opinion. There's a difference between a teaching video and a review. Right. Yeah. I mean, as we've already gone yeah. over, I think, right? Yes. As y'all know, or I imagine you know, you heard a couple of them at the beginning. <laughs> yes. we, we do have sponsors for our shows, whether it's the podcast or the YouTube channel. We have Game Surplus, BoardGameTables.com, and Meeple Realty. Our sponsors are fully disclosed, and we have handpicked each and every one of our sponsors. We haven't like, oh, you'll give us money? Okay, you can be our sponsor. No, we have turned down far more than we have accepted. And the reason is we want to not only be sponsored by... But we want to be able to, I don't want to say endorse, but at the same time kind of endorse their products because quality products and quality people are the types of companies that we want to be associated yeah. with. We want the heavy cardboard name attached to those two things. And that's why we have specifically sought out these high quality products and companies and people. And that's why we got the sponsors that we do. Mm -hmm. On that note, we have consciously chosen to avoid sponsorship from a publisher. Now, some people have told us, hey, that's stupid. Spon uh, that they're not paying for our attention. They're paying. They just want to be put in front of our audience. Right. Right. Uh, however. If we were to review a game by this hypothetical show sponsor publisher, it could give the appearance of a tainted or bought and paid for review, regardless of whether or not it's true. The appearance or the appearance matters more than anything. So that's not something that we're comfortable with. And that's why we're not published or not sponsored by a publisher. Right. Now, again, money is money, right? People are like, hey, you're not. You're not endorsing their products or whatever. But again, that goes back to the whole, we want to be able to do yeah. that for our sponsors. Yes. It, and it doesn't matter whether we know that or not. Right. It's the appearance. It's the appearance. And that, and that you can't fight. No. You can't fight someone's, their bias or their internal opinion. You know, you can't, if somebody's already got it in their head that, X equals Y, you can't come in and tell them that it doesn't. Yeah, arguing on the internet, that always That's works. That's always a great idea. <laughs> All right, and lastly, as y'all know, we have our Patreon where listeners and viewers can become patrons of Heavy Cardboard. Right. This allows y'all to give the show money to support us, the show, and the content that we make. 
This allows us the flexibility to continue to make the quality content that we want to make and that, honestly, y'all enjoy because yeah. otherwise, why are you listening, right. right? If So if we are beholden to anybody out it's there. It's our listeners. It's to you who's listening to this. Our listeners, our viewers, again, fans. Fellow whatever. elephants. Yes. Those of y'all that consume the content that we create. So while some folks would argue that money is money, it doesn't matter where it comes from, to us makes a huge difference and it allows us the freedom to be true and transparent both to ourselves as well as to y'all, the people that consume the content yes. that we create. Yes. So that is our... Stance? A, uh, a attempt at being transparent mm -hmm. and just... We didn't have to do this, and I don't. I, I didn't feel obligated to do it, but it's something that has really been weighing yeah, on me. I was me. just about to say, this has very much been weighing on your mind for a, a while now. Not that people question us, but there, there was there was one person that was like, ah, so your Patreon money, your, what do you consider that? And I'm like, that that's coming from the other side. That's not coming from the industry side. That's coming from right. those that are that are consuming it. So to me... That is night and day different because the people that all y'all, the people we're talking to right now, you don't care if we give a game a positive or negative review. You just want the truth. So if the money's coming from that side, why would it? Of course, we're going to be honest. We have literally nothing to risk. Right. Whereas if a publisher were sponsoring us and then we... We said something. What if you, they take their money away? Well, right, exactly, and and that right there is why I see a complete difference yeah. of the two sides of yes, things. Yes, absolutely. So, anyway, I'm curious feedback on this. Uh, I'm curious whether or not people are like, "Dude, just shut up. Who cares?" Um, or whether or not, no, hey, thanks for being transparent, and mm -hmm. that's what people. That's the thing that I took most. From that is, I know some, a, a number of people said, ah, we don't care where the money comes from, whatever, as long as you're disclosing and all that. I don't necessarily agree with that because I feel differently. Yes. Uh, me as the consumer of other so content. So if you feel differently, then other people feel differently too. That Again, I, it goes back to the whole interviews. I am a five-year-old. So if I think like that, I imagine other people yes, do too. Exactly. And so, yeah. So anyway, just give us feedback on this and just curious what you all think. So that's the end of that. We're not going to bring that stuff up anymore. Put that shit to bed. All right, y'all. So at this point, I had told you all last episode, so I guess that was uh, two days ago, that I was going to do the acquired and uh, the Gen Con anticipation list and everything. But I'll be honest, when I was prepping for Aura at Labora, it's longer than I expected. He spent eight hours. <laughs> so moral of the story is you're still going to get it. You're just going to get it as a pod blast Monday night. Yeah. So bonus content. <laughs> We love hearing from y'all and interacting with our fellow elephants, so if you'd like to reach out to us, just head on over to heavycardboard.com and you'll find our email and social media accounts. However, if you'd like to call and leave us voicemail with the caveat that we may use it on the show, hit us up. Phone number 
675-8975. And don't forget all the video content that we're producing over on YouTube channel, Heavy Cardboard Vids. Do you want me to do my best Benedictine monk chant right now? I'm all ears. Crap. (laughs) Eat, pray, love, work, do all that stuff. (laughs) Or at Labora. Published in 2011, designed by Uwe Rosenberg, the Uwe Rosenberg. Artwork by Clemens Franz. Published by Lookout Games and a whole bunch of others. It plays solo up through four players in an hour to about three hours, give or take a little bit. Availability and cost? Sorry, y'all. It's out of print. Hey, we're back to normal. Yeah. But it can be found if you're patient and you look for about 50, 60 bucks on the secondary market. Mm-hmm. There have been two editions, at least in English. There is the first edition and the second edition. We will kind of touch base. There's yeah. no content difference. It's just component wise. Yeah. Okay. As far as plays and player counts that we've covered or I guess experienced, at least eight plays of it for me uh ranging from two to four players and it's spanned a long period of time yeah, this isn't most something of the time we've been in a hobby actually yeah this isn't something that we just started playing a month ago we've been playing that this for years literally right now there are large gaps in between oh, some yeah, of the plays but however there's yeah i'd say at least eight maybe as many as a dozen right. from back before we tracked plays yes and when we before we stopped anyway moving on so what's going on in the game in Aura Labora, players will spend 25 turns using an ever-rotating rondelle of resources, steadily accruing piles of those resources, converting them into, wait for it, increasingly advanced resources, which is to say that players are turning them into various levels of food, fuel, and points. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Feed and heat? Uwe Rosenberg? What? You're kidding me. Or... Instead of using them for feeding and heating, players spend them to construct buildings. Those buildings allow players for increasingly more sophisticated resource conversion and or using them as rule-breaking actions, or some of the buildings have those. In addition to this, there is a spatial aspect of the game where players construct buildings on their tableaus. How they and where they construct those buildings on their tableaus has a massive impact on their ability to score well at the end of the game. At the end of the 25 rounds, players count up their points scoring for resources, buildings, as well as buildings based on their adjacency to settlements that the players will build at set times during the game. Whomever has the most points at the end wins. So, five factors that we consider giving a game its weight. So, first off, Complexity. Mostly we're talking rules overhead here. Right. The rules overhead is very small. The rules, the game can be taught in 15 minutes. Even though I think it took me a little longer, I think, during our live stream. But you get the idea. Yes. It's It's compared to something like an Arkwright mm-hmm. or an 18XX or something like that. Right. The rules overhead is considerably smaller. Yes. Now, if you're coming from a lighter weight game, it might be a little bit different, but... No doubt, yeah. but again, coming from our perspective yes. here. Overall, I was genuinely surprised at at the lack of rules overhead in it. Much like a monk's minimalistic lifestyle, <laughs> the available actions during a given turn for a player, they're few. Right. You can 
play a clergyman or a prior on one of the buildings that you've already built or that comes pre-printed on your boards and carry out an action. Real simple, right? Without placing a clergyman, clear Peter Wood. Right. Or build a building. The end. All right, sure. There are a few free actions that you can take paying to build landscape, you know, for coast or mountain mm-hmm. or more uh, forest or, or more swamps out there. Sure. And you can convert grain to straw freely, but that's it. So overall, I'd say relatively yes. speaking, low rules overhead. Very, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. All right. Now, however, the second, it's not step, but the second part, the planning. Yes. Or at Labora, kind of like how we said with Lignum, is planning the game. This could be, you could say the same thing yeah. about this one as yes. well, right? Planning ahead to have the goods in order to build the buildings that you want. I mean, oh, that can be really frustrating. <laughs> Knowing what buildings you want to build and then ensuring that you have the necessary goods when you want or possibly need to build mm-hmm. that building before other players do so, as well is Ensuring that you have enough food and energy, you know, that feed and heat stuff yes. to build the best settlements at the predetermined time. So you're not only having to spend your regular resources to be able to build these buildings, but you also have to plan for your settlements that come at irregular intervals. Yes. Now, I say irregular. They're in a predetermined setup, yeah, you, but you it's always, not the same amount of turns. You always know when they're coming. Just it's not every second turn you build you nothing, nothing like that. Yep. Another part of the planning is making sure that you get all three of your workers back when you need them. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about that a whole lot more cuz that's later not on. always under your control. No, it's not. And that's one of the uh sharper ed- elbows yes. in this game where there's not a you know what? I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's leave that for later. I think overall this game is highly strategic. Every building is the same every game and it there there's no variance. There's no variability. You don't take cards out, nothing like that. Right, outside of player count which we'll talk about, but every building is the same in every game. Mm-hmm. Every resource starts in the same spot every game. Yes. So it's really really strategic. And so, therefore, experienced players can play backwards almost. And what I mean by that is working towards the bigger buildings that you're going to want to build at the end. Start preparing for those right. literally early on. Yeah. I mean, not maybe not from the very... Well, mm. Yeah, you can because there's some some buildings that that come out at the very end that if you aren't preparing for it in round one, you're not going to be able to do it. Or, which... This happened in our playthrough when we live streamed mm-hmm. it is when I built my first building on my tableau, where I built it yep. was less than optimal because of the way I built everything else around it. So had I positioned that better, again, what happened on turn 25 was affected on turn one. Yes. Now, was that the death knell? No, I still won. So cool. However, it mattered. I could have done better. Right. Had I done better on my planning. So therefore, that kind of emphasizes right there how important the planning is in this game. Yeah, it's everything from making sure you have enough resources to build your sediment buildings to making sure you have the correct resources to 
build that one card that you know is coming at the very end of the game all the way down to making sure that where you place your very first building and where you place your very first settlement, even insofar as whether whenever you're buying your um, your expansions, your landscape, your landscape tiles, tiles yeah. whether you're building it, what side you're building it on, coastal or, coastal or mountain, whether you're putting it on the top or the bottom, whether it just, there's so much planning, yep. so much planning. However... It becomes tactical when some dirty rat <laughs> takes that five sheep that I was just about to take. So you. So, oh, wait, excuse me while I go mark this on the glory to Rome board. <laughs> so it is highly strategic, but there are tactical aspects of this because, oh, wow, you just messed me up. Okay. So let me think on my feet. What's yep. the other thing What I am need? I going to do? Mm-hmm. So, all right. So that covers the planning. For uh, luck and random factors, we can move on. Why? Yeah, because there, there are aren't none. any. I mean, I suppose if you decided to flip a coin to determine, are we playing France or are we playing Ireland today? That's literally it. Even, That's it. Yeah. There, I mean, those are the two variations that come in the game. Wine versus whiskey and beer. I mean, seriously, there's just no randomness. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on. Game length. What you got? It can sometimes feel too short. Um, I mean, the rondelle is constantly reminding you when the game's going to end, but sometimes it just, wait, what? Now, we, as Amanda alluded to, you constantly are aware of it. And we, we play friendly in a sense that, hey, everybody, we got three rounds until the next settlement phase. Hey, we got two rounds to the next settlement phase. So we don't have to do that, but... I would much rather beat you at your best than, oh, man, I forgot, whatever. So there's that. However, I feel, personally, I feel like the game plays in a perfect amount of time for when it does, with one exception. And that one exception is the two-player game, which we'll talk about later on when we talk scalability. Uh, The game definitely can run a little bit long on that, but more there later. What about getting it? I think building one settlement is enough. Um, you mean as far as, oh, hey, okay, that makes sense? Yeah, I think I think building one settlement is enough time, but understanding how the game actually scores, you're going to need a full game under your belt just to be able to understand and be able to see in action how the settlement scoring works. Yeah, I mean, you can, I mean, hey, it's got four arrows on it. It shows that it scores orthogonally still, next though, to it. It's still, it's hard, at least for me. And other people that learn like me, it's hard to see that oh, I, without I, seeing and it. And I'm not going to discount that by right. any means. However, what we try and do and what we said during our playthrough and what, whenever we have new players who haven't played Aura before, we tell them, look, each of your settlements, your goal is roughly 20 points per settlement in a four-player game. Yeah, try and get 20 points per settlement. And that gives them a frame of reference. And so as they're building them, they're like, okay, this one's six. Right. This one's seven. So that's 13. So as long as the other three sides get a total of seven, then I'm doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. So if I can do even better, right. awesome. So there's that. So I I agree with you that usually after you've built a settlement, but I, I also can make a case for you need to see how that ends, or at least, if not how it ends, later on to where you build multiple settlements and you can see how, oh, 
this settlement scores for this settlement. And that and one, yeah. Then when I score this settlement, it scores for the one that it just scored mm-hmm. last time. So mm-hmm. you get to double up on that. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. So there can be some of that for sure. And not gotcha, but realization, I think, is a mm-hmm. good way to put Light it. Light bulb turning on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So overall, where do you put it? I put it as a medium heavy because of the planning. And I, I put it on the heavier side of medium. So I guess that's two ways of saying the same thing. Yes. But only, again, only because of the amount of planning involved. And let's face it, if we had somebody, an experienced gamer, but we had somebody that had never played Aura before sit down to play you and I, they're going to get smoked. Yeah. And so, especially with there being zero randomness and zero variability, Experience matters, and so that tends to be a heavier game mm-hmm. because it requires that experience yeah. to be able to be more competitive, mm-hmm. I would say. I could, I could understand that, yeah, for sure. All right. So moving on to the components. So we're going to talk about the first edition because that's what we have. However, the nice thing, we have access to the second edition yes. thanks to Matt. So in general, the first edition components suck. The player boards and the extra landscape boards are cardstock. They're not cardboard. That's They're cardstock. Unacceptable. Yeah, I'm nowadays, sorry. they really are. And even six years ago, come on. Yeah. I mean, they're not like this in Agricola. Mm-hmm. They're not like this in in other games of that time period. Right. Not that six years ago is that long ago, but, but you know what I'm it, saying. Yeah, it could be in terms of component-wise things, right. absolutely. The player aids are thin. The rondelles have this... So the rondelle, it has a, it's a wheel, and so the middle arm. If you're familiar with Glass Road, mm-hmm. it's similar. similar to that, to where it's got that wheel. Um, however, depending on player count and whether you're playing long game, short game, whatever, you have to disassemble the wheels to be able to the the little sliding arm, mm-hmm. and they're held in with these little plastic pieces that are a pain in the butt to try and get undone. So not good there. The cards are decent cardstock, though, yeah? Yeah. However. <laughs> They're small. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that you can use other players' buildings. And the buildings are small. It makes it really hard. In, yeah. Unless you're, say, have studio lighting. Or in 2025, 2015 vision, like you do. Outside of that, uh, yeah, the cards are small for being able to see. Especially if if I'm sitting here... And Matt's sitting kitty corner. Well, like diagonal. We, exactly like we were in the live stream. Yeah. There's, I mean, I could barely read your cards, much less, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be able to see, especially the actions and everything. Um, it's easier to just be like, hey, can you hand me that card or tell me what that one does? But then you don't want to do that because then you're giving away what you might do to somebody. Right. Else. So you're just trying to like stealthily just side kind eye. Of, side, yeah. And it's hard enough to look straight at it and be like, yeah. <laughs> However, on the positive side, the second editions addressed all those issues, save for the card sides, which I'll be honest, I'm not going to... I'm not going to say the card size is a bad idea because of the amount of how big your tableau could get. If those were normal size cards, it'd be stupid. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to play it on a normal size card. They have to be that small. We're just complaining about how small the type is. (laughs) Not so much complaining. I just want to make sure that people that don't have the best eyesight are prepared for that. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Aura Labor has been around six years. This probably isn't new to, but maybe right. 
somebody's new to the hobby and this is their first review they're yeah. listening to. So therefore, there's have to, that. I have to put that in perspective every time. So with that said, second edition addresses everything but the card size. The player boards, the landscape boards all get beefed up. Yeah. The wheels and the and the sliding arms on them are held in by metal screws mm-hmm. that so you don't have better. to. Yeah, you don't have to like tighten those down with it. You you can use a thumbnail right. and you're fine. Um, however, my biggest gripe, component wise, is an omission. It's it's not that it's poor quality. It's just not there. It's just not there, and that's the resource boards, because you can print them. From BGG, I mean, like the ones we have for Laha. Yeah, same idea. Somebody same idea. made those. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> they make life nice, nice. You know, everything's all lined yeah. up. It has a home. Yeah, but they're not included in the game. Yeah. Why? That's just silly. I yes. mean, come on. Is it necessary? No. I could have a pile of goods. Yeah, it's not necessary, but it's still nice. There's no reason that's not included. That's just, come on. Yeah. Seriously. And it's a standard box size. I mean, it's it's identical to Agricola. Same, you know, those types of games. 12 and a half inches by 9 inches to just under uh, a hair under 3 inches or 32 by 23 by 7 centimeters. So, okay, queen of graphic design, go for it. (laughs) So, um, as meh, you know, as the components were in the first edition, they really did a great job with the iconography. Um, The graphic design is consistent, and it's clear. It's it's very well done. You can look at a card and understand what it's going to do. I think there is literally only one card that usually new players have to have explained to them, and that's the one where you have to use the where the where the wild is get you those resources um outside of that though it's very it's clear yeah which i mean especially after having spoken to ian o'toole Mm -hmm. yesterday i have a new kind of perspective yeah uh, on graphic design and how important a part that plays with the better artists or illustrators out there and graphic designers so yeah i i think overall they did a really, really good job with Aura. I, I agree. agree. And the artwork, I mean, it's Clemens Franz and it's his normal, whimsical, well done art. It's, yeah. It's his, it's just another excellent job. Yeah. It's, it's Clemens Franz, Clemens Franz. Some people don't like it. They have the right to be wrong. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, just really good. So as far as the rule book clarity and, and quality, so I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't read the rule book. In years, I haven't needed to again because that low rules overhead. Mm-hmm. There's just not a lot that, if you're an experienced gamer, I don't feel like you're going to struggle too much right, with right. it. However, there are four count them four rule books there's the game setup, there's the general rules, there's the detailed game rules, and the rules reference. Now, I understand why they did that, but it really, it makes setting the game up a pain in the ass because you're like, wait, which one is it? Yeah. Do I have to look look at? And so that, that's a little frustrating and Mm -hmm. I wish they could have just put it all together and then had the game set up at the beginning and it just, overall, I think the, the rule book's fine, but I'll be honest, I'm rusty on it because I, 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 
I haven't read it in mm-hmm. a long time and I haven't needed to. So I would say that's a good thing. I though, think so. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. And as far as setup, teardown, teaching and learning, we did a full three player live stream mm-hmm. playthrough with teaching. So yep. go check that out. So what makes Ort Labora enjoyable? Who says it is? Me. Okay. Yeah. Me too. I Yeah. All right. <laughs> Ladies first, please. Okay. I love the puzzle aspects of the settlements and the buildings and figuring out the best place to put stuff. You know, we try not to compare games. We, we try and look at games in their own universe as if it were in a vacuum. Right. And when we reviewed Caverna, we didn't compare no. Caverna to Agricola. Did you? It was the other way around. Or whatever. But you get the point. Yes. Right? In a vacuum. However... When we reviewed the colonists, this was my biggest bummer about that game. And this is what just, I enjoy so much. I suck at spatial aspects in games and the adjacency Mm -hmm. and all of that. And this is what the colonists was missing. I think it is so awesome that, as I spoke about earlier, the very first placement of my Mm -hmm. very first building, I screwed up. Yep. And I was hating myself for it. And I should. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> yes. I, I, you guys know that I'm, you know, uh, not uh, not so closet, you know, masochist in that I want games that, that punish me. This isn't necessarily punishing, but I was beating myself up because I could have done better had I done, right. had I had more forethought on that, on that first placement. And going off of the puzzle aspect of where to place everything, that makes chaining a big deal. And that can just be, honestly, magical. <laughs> okay, so when you say chaining, are you saying like, oh, well, no, I don't want to put words in your mouth. It's like, okay, you need to tear down, you need to get the peat from this area so that you can have enough peat in order to build the next settlement, but you need to make sure that you don't use that. So let's make sure that we have enough stuff to build that building over there. And then that building will be able to go here and that'll make you you just. So you're not saying all in one action. You're saying a chaining of action. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Because you don't have enough. There's not enough stuff to be able to do in a turn to be able to have, you know, to be able to do an actual chain then. There is an instance that I found out uh, that I, I don't want to say discovered, but like a happy discovery, I guess. <laughs> uh, in one game, there is, uh, I'm, and I don't remember the exact building, but it basically allows you to use another building that's occupied yeah. if it's adjacent. Yes. Or use an adjacent building, I don't, maybe unoccupied. And because of the placement that I was able to do with these, I was able to create uh, hops or malt in this area and then go onto this other building, which then allowed me to brew because it was adjacent to the brewery to be able to make this beer. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I nailed that. I got that. I was able to chain this stuff together right. exactly similar to what you said. And one and- one thing I also like is that there's a card that allows you to use another building as long as it's occupied by the person's prior. Which is, okay, so you have three workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one worker is your prior and two are your clergymen. So right. all three are clergy, but the prior allows you to use a uh, to buy to a u- building. To use the building that you just built. Yes. So 
during our live stream, you had that specific card. So I made sure that what I had my prior on was the worst building possible so that you wouldn't want to use it. So that denial is also a really cool aspect of the game that I enjoy. And so while there's not a ton of interaction, there is there in that aspect. And on that note, um, it forces you to plan better so you get to maximize your actions. Building a building without having your, pli- your prior available makes for a sad elephant. <laughs> hmm. womp womp. So because the buildings are worker placement-esque, meaning that if you have your worker on a building already, you can't reactivate that building until you clear all your workers. Plan better if you want to use the building in quick succession. So you only pull back your workers after all three have been used. So you want to use your workers on buildings, but you need to build buildings, which doesn't use a worker, unless you want to use your prior, like you just said, mm-hmm. right? Oh, wait, you already used your prior? Oh, I'm so oh, sorry. Darn. So you get to build a building and not use the building. Yeah. Hmm. Plan better. But other players can also use your workers. Wait, what? <laughs> so they pay you a gold coin, which is a useful resource. Yeah, at least you get something out of it, I yeah, yeah, no, no. I, and that's, I mean, it's a valuable resource. So they, quote unquote, hire a worker of the owner's choice. Meaning, if Amanda, if you pay me a gold coin to use one of my workers and all three of them are available, you do not get to choose. You like do. I do. Be- oh, I don't want to use my prior mm-hmm. for that. I will use one of my worker right. bees. And so, even though you can't do that, they go work in my own building, but they were they're working for you. Yeah. So you hired them, which is great because hey, maybe you used my last worker. Cool, I get to clear all my workers and then get to use them again at the beginning of my next turn. But wait, I needed my prior that you just hired to mm-hmm. use the building I was about to build. Or Excuse- I or I needed, you know, my worker that you just used yeah. to do something. Excuse me while I go mark here on the Glory to Rome board. <laughs> exactly. Again. <laughs> However, on that note, might be more beneficial to take a less optimal move just so you're using your third worker so that you can clear your workers yeah. at the beginning of your next turn at the beginning of the next round. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love, I love gathering resources to build stuff, and that's just the hoarder in me, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> but that any game that has recipe fulfillment and which I guess this does in absolutely a sense the that cards right you you have to you have to have three wood and two yep, stone to absolutely. be able to build this building. So absolutely. that's a recipe, right? Yeah, that makes and sense. Gathering resources makes I just makes Manda happy. <laughs> Fair enough. So going back to what I was talking about with your workers, though. Mm-hmm. On the flip side of, damn you, you just built that building I was going to build. <laughs> yes. Well, okay, I can flip the tables and I can pay you that coin that you just paid me to be able to go and use your building mm-hmm. and maybe use it more efficiently and more effectively than you do. And guess what? Now I'm beating you yes. because I'm using your buildings better than you are. Because you have more resources to be able to utilize that better than I did. Right, because I was storing up because I wanted to build that building. And And the constant frustration of it seeming like the person right before you can, you know, suddenly is a mind reader and knows exactly what you were going to (laughs) do. And so they make sure that they get the resource that you were just about to get and you want to mark the glory to Rome board. Yep. And I'll be honest, 
I think right here we have talked about what game we need to do for heavy cardboard glory to Rome editions. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> so the cloister buildings have to be always built orthogonally adjacent to one another, which forces better planning. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the game, you have one choice on where to plant, where to build it. However, you can always build those landscape tiles or pay buy not really build you buy them because it costs coins Mm -hmm. they start i think at three and four respectively they get more and more and more expensive right uh i mean real estate yeah who'd have thought who'd have thunk it (laughs) who'd have thunk it on that note though so even if you build you close off your cloister building to where oh man i can't build any more cloister buildings a should have planned better or B, you can buy some of those landscape tiles, whether it's the mountain and hillside or whether it's the landscape that goes below or above. And, oh, hey, all of a sudden, now I can build a cloister mm-hmm. building and then go from there. And so it doesn't always have to be built out the exact same way, your, your tableau is right. what I'm saying. Right. And on that note, there are certain buildings. Well, actually, technically. All of them. All of them are limited mm-hmm. based on landscape in some form or fashion. Yeah, there's very few that can be built on the ocean. Right. Um, but most of them can be built on the plains or the forest. The hillside. The hillside. And um, mountains, I think. Now, that Sometimes with the mountains are usually uh, kind of like the ocean in that it's only like the quarry. Well, not only like that. that, but you you want to try and limit what you're building there because some of the really high value buildings get built on the hillside. On the hillside, and yeah. then because all these buildings get used in every single game, and when I say that, I mean obviously all the French buildings get built when you're playing on the French yeah, side. Yeah, you don't build Ireland, all of them. Right? Yeah, yeah. However, everybody knows what those cards are. Everybody knows what's coming in. You know, the D deck, you know, in in the end game stuff. And so people can be racing against one another to be able to build that certain buildings Mm -hmm. or you're not racing against each other for your settlements because settlements are individual. Everybody has identical settlements. However, that last settlement takes 30 food. Yeah. You are racing against one another, even though you can build that settlement and I can build my own 30 food settlement. You need 30 food. But you're racing to get the food. Right. And so you're going to be competing. And that goes back to that whole, really? You just took all those sheep? Yep. That I was then going to bring to the slaughterhouse to be able to make it five food a piece as opposed to just two? Really? Or you have all of your, you know, your sheep and your grain and everything ready to go to go to the slaughterhouse. And the person that has the slaughterhouse just used it. So you can't use it anymore. Yeah. And seriously? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is... For a game that a lot of people say doesn't have a ton of interaction, it has a lot of indirect player action uh, and, and and a fair amount of direct, I think, because I can, I mean, everything's open information. I can look around the board and I can see, oh, Amanda has two stone. I have two stone. So if I go before Amanda, it might not get back around to me. Mm-hmm that building because she can build that Mm -hmm. so i think you might build that building so i better build it now or i run the risk of not getting a chance to build it right because you can't take a card like into your hand to build later you have if you take it you you have to be able you're you're building it immediately right and that's another aspect that i like is 
especially with stone early because the stone resource is not on the rondel wheel at the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. And so there's only certain buildings that have to be built by players to be able to acquire stone. So if you're able to get stone early and there's that stone building out there that you're eyeing, but you're like, I could build it here, but I really want to build it over there. But the problem is I haven't cleared that forest yet. So I have to clear that forest to be able to build it exactly where I want. So I just keep watching. Mm -hmm. Nobody has stone yet. Okay. I can, I can stall kind of, I, that building's not going away. No one can build it other than me, so I'm just going to leave it there. And I'm going to do all these other things. Oh, Brian just built stone. Okay, I'll build that building. Exactly. And I like that. I like that you... The game doesn't force you to play other people's games. However, it behooves you. Yeah, it's a a good idea to do so. Yep. There's very little downtime. I mean, we had a four-player game going. It depends on the AP people, however. Sure, sure. We had one game, a four-player game, where it was 20 seconds around the table. You timed it? Yes. So, action, 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 action. Hey, it's your turn. Yes. Wait, what? Yeah, literally. And I was like, but I just went. Like, it can't be my turn already. And yeah. so there shouldn't be a ton of downtime now. Obviously, as the game get, you know, the last couple rounds, people are mathing it out. Like, okay, I need 30 But at the beginning, it's going to be boom, 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 yep. boom, boom, boom. Players always know how many turns till they need X amount of food and energy to be able to build their point generating settlements. Those things that score for adjacency, right? Mm -hmm. However, players don't get penalized for not building a settlement. You don't have to build a settlement. However, you get penalized in a sense that you're falling behind the other players. So it behooves you to do so. Yes, but that's one of the things I like about it is that you are punishing yourself. The game isn't punishing you. Yeah, because it gives you the option right. to not build it. And if it. you choose not to, then okay, you better make it up in, some, in another way. There's an excellent variety in strategic paths to the game. There's different ways to go. There's not just one way to win the game. Oh, yeah, there's a ton. There's cloister buildings, the high-value resource generation, including those 30-point wonders, yeah. which I don't see built terribly often i've only seen one person build two of them once in all the games that i've ever played now again i'm not saying this is expert level play mind you but still there's the high value buildings and settlements some mix of everything Mm -hmm. and this is this is i think the most important aspect of this game what i'm about to say from my standpoint at least is that even though there are all these different paths, like you go for that. So if you're going for cloister buildings and I'm completely ignoring cloister buildings, there's still tension mm-hmm. and there's still tension between you and I because all these other things that have these building materials, even though there's a wide range of them, we're still competing against one another for all these other buildings and all these resources. So even though we're on completely divergent paths, they're still going to intersect at a lot of mm-hmm, places mm-hmm. to where we're still going to, that tension matters and you feel it throughout the entire mm-hmm. game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Each player gets the same number of turns. Every player gets 25 turns. It doesn't matter when the game starts. It doesn't matter whether you are third player, you know, third turn or right. player one. 
It doesn't matter if it ends on player two's turn. It doesn't. You well, gonna, actually, hold on. It will never end on player. Well, it, I, fine. Give me an example. But sure, you're always sure. going to have 25 turns. Yep. And starting player always rotates. And so another, I don't know if clever is the right word, but thing I enjoy. Yeah, there you go. All right. Is in a, in a three and four player game, the first player gets the first action. Obviously, right? Then we go around the table. Everybody mm-hmm. takes one action. However, whoever's the first player gets a second action. Mm-hmm. So you get last licks along with first licks yeah. when you're the first player. You don't like it? Don't worry. Maybe you're going to be first next mm-hmm. because it just, rotates, it just rotates around the table. So the timing of that and the timing of when you have your workers on your tableau and when they're free matters because I always try, try to plan better and make sure all my workers are used in my last action before I become the first player. So I have all my available actions, whether I want to build buildings more than once. Granted, I could only use the prior once. However, I have other guys that uh, my other workers that allow me to do, I I don't limit my actions is what I'm saying. As long as I have planned Mm -hmm. appropriately. And this goes all the way back to the very beginning of what we were talking about. While it's not new now, the Rondell moving after every turn, the the, wheel, right? This, I, was this the first game? I think so. Uh, Again, this came out before we were in the hobby. Right. So it's gotta be one of the first, if it's not the first. Uh, Again, if you're familiar with Glass Road or I'm trying to think if there's any other resource wheel like, oh, uh, Palaces of Carrera uses it. I think this is the first one that did that. And yeah, even though it might not feel new and fresh now, it's still clever. It's still cool. I I still enjoy that aspect of the game. Yeah. And this might sound stupid, but this is whole... You know, th- this part of the review is things we like about the game. Mm-hmm. I enjoy resource conversion yeah. games. And, oh boy, <laughs> this is a doozy. I yes. mean, it's a perfect example of exactly what a resource conversion game can be. Mm-hmm. So here's something that occurred to me while I was prepping, which I feel is kind of cheating. But then I was looking back on it. I was like, oh, that's clever. That's well done. So tell me if you've ever thought about this, because I hadn't, at least on on a conscious level. The theme isn't like huge. It's right. not, you know, uh, a massive impact on the game, right? Yeah. If, if it were unthemed, whatever. However, it does a really good job of integrating the theme through the use of point enticement of buildings. So check this out. The slaughterhouse, right? Mm-hmm. It's worth a, a fair number of points. However, if it's next to a settlement, it scores negative points. Yeah. Nobody wants to live next to a slaughterhouse. That makes sense. I've thought of that one, right? However, there are other buildings that score really well when they're next to a settlement, right? That have that high red mm-hmm. red value for uh, adjacency scoring for, for settlements. And the reason they do is thematically, these are the types of buildings that would that people want to have access to from their settlement in real life. So thematically, you're building this village that kind of follows how it really, quote unquote, should be or how it was built back in the day because they wanted 
access to these buildings easily. They mm-hmm. don't want to live next to a slaughterhouse. They want to live next to the school right. or next to that. And I was like, I guess I've never really stopped to think about that. But that's 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 pretty clever. Like you want these high value buildings next to settlements. That I knew. It's but, similar to small city. Yeah. Yeah, but I feel like that's a little bit more, or at least to me, it's more obvious in small city than and it is see, here. It's, it was obvious to me. As well, like it was, it was obvious to me in this game. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so because it, I mean, it, it makes sense. You don't want to live next to a slaughterhouse. You don't really want to live next to a quarry either. You know, and that's why it's the negative points. Yeah, I, I, it just never, just never occurred to you. Yeah, and that's it just fine. never occurred to yeah. me. So, all right. Anyway, moving on. There, are, yes, there are two very, you know, there's two various games in the box. There's two. There's France and Ireland. Ireland. Whiskey and beer. Unfortunately, there are only two variants. We wish there was more. Yes. More on that later. Yeah. So tell me if you agree with this or not, that even though you might not win, maybe you don't score exceptionally well, you still get a feeling of accomplishment. There's that positive feedback in that, oh, wow, my tableau looks pretty cool. I built all this stuff. However, don't get me wrong. We do not believe in participation awards. On this show. <laughs> oh, thanks for playing. No. No. However. I can appreciate a good tableau. Yeah. I, it can be rewarding, right? Yeah. So there's something to be said for that. All right. On the flip side, yeah. Yeah. On stuff that we're not super, super keen on. So mine's longer than yours. So I will. Uh, I'll take the lead here. Yes. <laughs> I have three words for you. Static. One. Static. Two. Static. That's really only one word. No, it's 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 three words. Okay. How is there only the same two variations of the game released over the course of six years? I don't know. With as many cards as there are for Agricola, how how do you not? There, there was even a second edition of Aura. I just Labor. don't understand why. And I have heard through the grapevine. I I haven't heard directly i haven't seen written mm-hmm. i haven't anything but i've heard that uve had more decks then what the heck man now i don't know if that's true and i know that there is a user made flanders and normandy expansion mm-hmm. can't speak to the quality of it but seriously it's static the game is crying literally for expansion decks yeah it's like and you yeah. don't even have to have more more p- de- cards yeah you don't need to have more resources you don't need to have a, new, a different player board you don't have i mean nothing. you could that'd be awesome well, you could but you but, don't have to right though. oh it's so frustrating it's so frustrating so it's resource conversion with adjacency bonuses hey so if that's not your cup of tea this isn't going to be your cup of game no no it's not and yes i busted out cup of game <laughs> life is just a chair of bullies. again I don't see this as a problem because we like games like Food Chain Magnate where you can lose the game on your first turn. But experienced players are going to dominate in this game. The end, period. Um, unless you're playing with, like just savants. Um, mm-hmm. a, an experienced player should should smoke a new player. And that's not always fun no. if you're the new player. Um, so hopefully that accelerates their learning curve. Right. Because so, so you're, you're right? going to want to be able to beat the crap out of the person that just beat you. Yep. Not the most interaction in the game. And usually when there is some, it's negative yeah. interaction. So 
you took the resource or building that I wanted. Hmm. You forced me to use one of my workers that I really needed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm okay with this, though. I mean, that's why we have the glory to roam board, right? Exactly. I mean, it's... I'm okay with negative interaction. Not everybody's going Not to Not everybody is, and that's something that you need to understand is going to happen in the game. It's hard to, I mean, this is what we talked about before. It's hard to read the cards from across the table. Yeah, it, just, that, it just is. And that that's definitely a downside to, for the game for and me. It, it's a bit of a table hog with yeah. all the tableaus, even with the smaller cards. Yeah. So again, we understand why I, Absolutely. I, I'm not critiquing the need for that. No, just, we're just, that's, it's just a negative about it. Yep. So, again, we've already talked about the component quality of the player boards and landscape uh, are a bummer in the first edition. Now, let me clarify something, especially because this is out of print. It is not a game-breaking issue by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, just, well, that sucks. It'd be nice if they were nicer, um, especially considering the the price you'll probably pay Mm -hmm. with it being out of print. But... It's completely fine playable. Ours is the first edition. We play ours. But when we get a chance, we try and play Matt's copy because it's nicer Nicer. components, right? Right. That's it. And this is a bit of a nitpick, but the resources don't fit without stacking them on the resource wheel, and it's easy to bump those. Right, and they're they're big, chunky bits. Which, that's not a negative. It's not, but I just find it funny that we complain about how small the cards are, but... The bits are too big to fit on the rondelle. Yeah, right. Okay, fair point. (laughs) (laughs) So there's double-sided resources, which, cool, all right, but they're not the same resource, and they're not always direct upgrades to one another. Sometimes they are. Um, And so that's that's when we put them in our dishes, right, Uh, when we're Mm -hmm. setting up or in the middle of a game, hey, hand me a coin. And you're like, where are the coins? Oh, yeah, for- right. It's the book. Right. It's the backside of that mm-hmm. one. Okay. So, yeah, again, nitpicky, yeah, right? Yeah, but definitely. The AP can can soul crush a person. So, okay, let me ask you a question on mm-hmm. this. Is there a game that AP can't soul crush? No. So, why do we bring it up? I don't know. I mean, it's implied, right? I mean, seriously. I would think so. <laughs> don't be so, that person. Right. Be considerate. Yeah. Now, we have a rule. You get one tank per game, meaning you can AP once per game. After that, that you're going to get needled to death. Yes. And you can still do it. We're oh, just going to make fun of you the whole oh, time. Oh, and we're going to we're going to just not stop talking. We're oh yeah, all that. So, um try it at home. So the last negative that I have at least is the game length of the two player long game. It is Long. Yeah, because you you go through every single card. Which we're about to get into right now. So moving on into scalability. Mm -hmm. So some of the buildings are removed based on the player count, you know, and that's really all the scaling that there is. Yeah, mechanically, that's that's pretty much it. Now, there's the short version of the game. Can't speak to it. Nope, never played it. Uh, I I don't know why you would, honestly. There are two versions of the two-player game. Now... Players take two actions in the two-player game each, then the other player goes. And there's no fixed amount of rounds, so that 25 rounds Mm -hmm. doesn't apply here in the two-player game. The game goes until one or three of the buildings are left, period, respectively. The end. So the game can go really long. And this is coming from folks that have no problem playing... 
you know, six, eight-hour games of 1822. This feels different, though. It gives the game an epic feel, but yeah, it can overstay at two players. Yeah, I would, yeah. Now, not always. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I don't like the two-player game, but to put it in perspective, in a three- and four-player game, you'll score around 200 points, maybe as low as 180, maybe as high as 250. Okay, cool? Yeah, yeah fair. Right. Mm-hmm. In a two-player game, you can score over 500 points. Wow. And you're getting points from resources and buildings and settlements. So you're just doing that a lot yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. So I love this game at three and four. I'll still play it at two as opposed to like a through the ages where I'll play it two and three. Right, I right. will not play that at four. I will play this at two. Not my favorite at two. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, because... I can't personally speak to the Epic game because I haven't played that, but I can just imagine the tableau, like just... Oh, it's full. Like <laughs> enormous, like six feet long, like... Exaggeration, but okay, yeah. Okay, fine, five and a half. Right. <laughs> All right, now comes what's normally one of the highlights of the review for me, which is the comments from BGG. Yeah, from, you yeah. love doing this. I, I really do. However, this one was kind of tough. I found a lot of really quotable negatives. Didn't find a whole ton of quotable positives. Really? Yeah, just because I was. They were like, "Oh yeah, it's like Agricola and Lahav had a baby," <laughs> and I'm like, "Everybody says this. I'm like, That's original. Come on, people." So here we go. Overly complex. The Agricola ripoff. Zero fun factor. Too many ways to get points, and I'm sick of these. Each player has a player met, and you build your own village games. Shouldn't hold it in. Somebody's Tell us how grumpy. You really feel. Agricola has randomness in the distribution of occupation and minor uh, occupation cards and minor improvements. This game does not have the randomness, but has a seemingly endless possibility for combinations and strategy. Love it. <laughs> yes. Which surprises the hell out of me that that's the case. Not that they love it, but that there's no variability and we do as well. Right. New urban buzz phase to Uwe Rosenberg. Definition, plagiarizes himself and somehow still has fans. Wow. Ouch. Don't hold it in. (laughs) Just gets better and better with every play. In a nutshell, the people who like this sort of thing will find this is the sort of thing that they like. (laughs) He seems just to do the same thing over and over. The only difference is the number of real players the game supports, which isn't a range, but one figure. Really neat game that seems immense to start, but clicks after a bit. A game that repays effort. I like it a whole lot. Shame about the components. Talking about the first edition. But I like the story it tells, the feel of seeing your village grow, and the tense choices. Every game will play out a little bit different, too. My head hurts. You can tell that there's something awesome going on here, but it's the only game that has been set up and play started on at least two different occasions. And then put back in the box. Utterly exhausting. Poor guy. I think this is my, these next two are my favorites. Yeah. The Pits of Euro Trash <laughs> took five hours and nothing fun or interesting. Five hours! No wonder nothing fun or interesting oh happened. Oh my God. Collected a bunch of uninteresting tokens and tiles, though. Not a game I will play again. I wouldn't either if it took me five hours. No. Sheer tedium. I suppose I should commend the game for accurately advertising that it's all about Labora. (laughs) But why would I want to simulate work in my leisure time? (laughs) Alrighty. So that runs the gamut. Uh, That's pretty fun. 
I like that. That's funny. All right. So I know people are going to ask, so I figure I would throw this in here. Mm -hmm. So Amanda. Yes. You have played a lot of Uwe Rosenberg games. Everything from Bonanza to Mercator to the all the Harvest series, mm-hmm. as well as his, his modern, you know, newer mm-hmm, ones. I have. I'm not asking you to rank them. Where does Orit Labora fit in the pantheon of Uwe games to you? To me, it's right up there with Agricola. Um, yeah, it's a, it's. I have three favorite Rosenbergs. Okay. Orit Labora, Agricola, and Lahav. Okay. I mean Bonanza because it's awesome. Oh, the beans. The you beans. like the artwork. I love the artwork. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. But those are my definitely my top three. And Aura is, it's it's inching up to be the number one. I think it might be there. Okay. That's very cryptic. It might be my number one. Wait till my summary, sir. Oh, okay. Excuse me. Sorry. <clears throat> and you? For me, I still have Agricola as my number one Uve game. This has not surpassed it. However... Similar, but not the same as you. Mm-hmm. On any given day, this or Lahav, it could could be number two. Okay. So it's like two A, two B. But to me, Agricola is still my number one. Okay. So outside of those three, though, everything else pales. Oh yes. Even more so, everything from 2013 and more recent. Honestly, I don't like the trajectory that Uwe Rosenberg is on for me and my taste personally. Mm-hmm. The games that he creates are perfectly fine, but they're not what I want no, right. in, 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 in games in general. So that started with Glass Road, Caverna, Patchwork, Fields of Arla, A Feast for Odin, Cottage Garden. Zero interest in any of those. Yeah. I would play them, but I would never say, ooh, ooh, I can't yeah, wait. Like, oh, can we go play that, please? Whereas these three. Absolutely. Yes. Yep. All right. So everybody's really liking your summaries, so I'm, I, I, I will go first this time. That's not really good, but okay. Okay, then go ahead. You go first. And watch. She's going to just crush it and watch. Here we go. This is by far my favorite Uber game. Oh, look at that. You clever, clever dog. You aren't punished so badly like an Agricola or a Feast for Odin, and there's no specific path to victory. There's many different ones to take. I always set out to make a wonder on my last turn. I haven't been able to do it, but I will. <laughs> Eventually, I will get there. All right. Yep, the game is static. And yes, there are only two variations of the game. But in the game of monks, booze, and shiny things, <laughs> it never fails to make me glad that it got played. Even though with repeated plays, I know all the buildings, I know what settlements are coming up, I still find myself with a furrowed brow trying to make the very best placement of a building that I can so that when I place a settlement next to it 15 turns from now to score a ton of points, yep, nailed it. Damn, that feels good. It's a game that's never going to leave our collection and one that I almost never will say no to. This is Uwe at his near best. I miss this Uwe. But come on, give us some new cards. <laughs> Amanda, what are you giving your ZOMG, this is my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game? I really want to say a six, but I just can't. Why? This is the most conflicted I've ever seen. Yeah, here. I don't, I couldn't tell you why. Um, why, which way? 
why I can't say a six. Then why can't you? If you cannot give me a reason that it's not a six, I understand, you know, X, Y, or Z. If you can, if you can make a make a point, are you scared to say? I- no, I'm not scared to say. I just, I don't, I don't. I'm not a hundred percent on board with thinking that it is. Why? But you have to be able to give a reason. I mean, I, I, I mean, Honestly, it's arbitrary. I, yeah, it's, it's, I, I really, I really, truly think that it's because there are only. It's so static. So is it because it's static, or are you penalizing the game for it not having expansions, which is what you're essentially doing, right? Yeah. Which we're not judging or at Labora with its expansions or without we're judging or at labor. And I'm not trying to sell you on this. I'm just trying to get you to coalesce your thoughts and reasoning on this specific yeah, thing. I, I mean, if, if it's not a six to you, it's not a six, but I think it has to be has to, which I think way? it has to be a six because if now you're flip flopping, if Agricola <laughs> is a six, uh-huh. if St. Petersburg is a six, then I don't see how this couldn't be. So, yes. Okay. So, okay. So, for me, things going against it. Static. Only has two variations. But same rules apply, right? Right. Component quality of the first edition. Not, I mean, some people, there there was some serious uh, hyperbole, which I understand is a shock to most. That, <laughs> oh, it was atrocious component. No, it wasn't. No, it, it wasn't. Just, it, whatever. It wasn't paper. Wasn't as good as it could have been. And the two-player can run long. Here, this just in, through the ages, my favorite game of all time. Yeah. Unplayable at four, for me. So yeah, it's a six. Of course it's all a fan <laughs> game. That said, Uwe, do us a favor, man. Do us a solid. Get some more get cards out, will you please? Please and please, please come back to this type of game, Uva. please. No, you know what? Don't. That's your choice. But it just means that we will look in different directions. But yeah, we miss you. Yes, we do very much. And that's Orit Labor. That's a big episode, huh? Yeah. What do you think? Just what do you think about it? The whole thing. I think it was great. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. We'll see. I'm, I'm nervous about the whole, you know, reviewing and sponsorship and. Why? It's your opinion, and it's right. So well, well, why do you feel bad about why do no, you feel no, that way about it? No, I'm just curious whether or not people care to hear about that. That's the part that I'm wondering about. So we'll find out soon enough, right? Mm, always like hit fast tomorrow, forward. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So quick reminder before we skedaddle out of here. Gen Con, informal meetup. Come spend dinner with me and your fellow elephants, 7 p.m. Friday. The address, it's the, at the Indianapolis City Market. The address is 222 East Market Street, just east of Monument Circle. Again, going to meet up outside Hall J on Capitol Hill or Capitol Street about 615 or so. So we're just going to walk as a herd over yeah. there and figure out where you want to eat. So, and last but not least, remember there's going to be a Pod Blast Monday for the games that I'm looking forward to checking out, kind of in a, a mini anticipation list for Gen Con specific As stuff. well as the stuff that we've acquired recently. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yep. So cool. a whole bunch of games. Yep. All right, so there's, that's a wrap. That's all we got. So get to work editing. And for y'all watching live patrons, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Yeah. And for those listening around the world, thanks. And 
the next time you'll hear from us, I guess will be tomorrow night live for the Roar stream. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, it'll be next week, which is I'll be at Gen Con. And he will, past Edward will magically be speaking into your ear holes. Weird. So make sure you come by uh, Capstone Games booth. 1558 is where I'm going to be hanging out uh, a few hours each day. Buy shirts. And, bow promos, and you know, and you know, I'll, I will, I will happily take pictures of you know, like pens or notebooks or or filofaxes, um, puppies, ducks, and elephants. While I'm gone, to make me happy while he's gone. There you go, folks. Make it happen. Catch y'all later. Bye. <laughs>